every time you see the word grumble, not rumble, grumble, I want you to underline it or circle it. Maybe it'll help get our brains going a little bit this morning as we get started. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we? that you grumble against us. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses and Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, "What, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Let me pray. Father, uh, we... We're glad to be here. Whatever circumstance we come in from, myself included, it was a quiet but not soon to be quiet home at all. Hurried, rained on, trying not to speed on slick streets with a host of daily tasks flooding into my mind. And I just want to tell you, Father, that I'm glad to be here. And I pray that all who enter in maybe with similar or different circumstances are as well. Would you give us space in our hearts to listen? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and see today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I've heard it before that the quickest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Uh, I can relate. I bet you can relate to it too. Have you held a Fletcher's corny dog recently? It's not just about sustenance, right? We're well aware that the cotton candy and the corny dog and the donut that's in front of you right now are not really going to provide what you need. It's more than sustenance. It's about celebration. Food's about joy. Food's about fulfillment. Food sometimes is the only way we can actually have conversation with each other. Have you ever been to a gathering without food and tried to hold the same conversation as you would over a meal that you enjoy? So it's true. The quickest way to a man's heart tends to be through our stomachs. To eat is to survive and to thrive. Food involves our stomachs, but it also has a way of, of getting our hearts. I'm half, half my family is Italian. I don't know if any of you are Italian. I don't know if you've been around Italians, but they'll tell you to love and to eat. These are the only necessities of life. Right? To have food with someone is a sign of relationship. To receive food from someone is a sign of a want for a relationship. And so when we come to a topic about food and we just read a passage about food that's literally falling from the sky, you have to ask yourself, what are you eating? Why such a strange design? Well, food's not just about the rumblings of your stomachs. It's also about the grumblings of your heart. That's the truth. Let me try to tell you what I mean by the difference between these two. The rumbling and the grumbling. I think I said that before I even read the passage. Uh, Rumbling in your stomach, which some of you may be experiencing now because your diet won't allow you to eat those donuts. Okay, That's actually, it's a sign of hunger. It's a natural human response to unmet needs. It's about daily sustenance. And most of us don't have rumbling in our stomach for, for want or lack. And we don't give a lot of thought to the fact that whenever that does happen, it's signifying that we have an unmet need. A very basic one. And one that most of us don't really struggle to meet. Maybe there's some who do. But grumbling's a whole different thing. It's accompanied, it's a partner of rumbling, but it's a whole different thing. It's a complaint. Grumbling's about unmet desires. Grumbling is a sign of discontentment, of dissatisfaction. I am painfully aware of what's missing. And when we read our passage, how many times did you count the word grumble or grumbling? Eight? Anybody have double vision this morning and see nine or ten or eleven or or twelve? I had you do that elementary exercise because it is the repeated thing throughout this passage. Uh, If you've been around children or a dog, you, you know what grumbling might be. So let's take the focus off of us for a minute early in the morning and just talk about that. Uh, I grew up with a dog named Boomer. It is not because we are Sooner fans. 
It's also not because we're Longhorn fans. I'm an Aggie. Now before, thank you. I just got seven uh, really attentive ears and about 93 who all of a sudden don't care what else I have to say. <laughs> uh, we named him Boober for this reason. He was fat. He was abnormally large for the type of dog that he was. He's a Bichon. A little white fluffy French dog. And he was rescued. He was rescued out of being abandoned. And we found out when we got him beaten. He was brought into our home. And then through my mom, the Italian one in the family, he was very well taken care of. Very well provided for. Overly provided for. And he developed this strange talent I call flat bottom begging. He could sit for minutes on end, paws in front, tongue out, and beg, and beg, and beg. And it was kind of cute. So of course you start feeding him things from your plate. Right? And even if it wasn't cute, it's so persistent that you fed him things from your plate. And so it didn't discourage the begging. As a matter of fact, what, what I would tell you is, in spite of being rescued and well cared for, he was actually perpetually discontent. Now when I say that, I don't mean grumpy. I don't want today for you to take grumbling to mean you have to be a grumpy person. I mean that he had such an insatiable appetite that he was constantly discontent. He was always aware of what was missing and rarely thankful for what had already been provided. I'm going to say that again. He was always aware of what was missing and rarely aware of what had already been provided. He was a grumbler. He needed a cure not just for his growling stomach, but for his, his uncalmed heart, his disquieted spirit. And his hunger led to grumbling. And if we didn't feed Boomer, you know what happened? He spread his little discontentedness to everyone in the family. All of a sudden, he'd start peeing on the carpet. He never peed on the carpet unless you didn't give him what he wanted. He never got on the couch he's not supposed to get on unless you didn't give him what he wanted. He never barked out of turn. You know that loud, shrill bark that your dogs sometimes do? That you just quietly kicked him into the backyard and shut the door? He didn't never do that unless he didn't get what he wanted. Discontentedness is a sign of a grumbling heart. And we often confuse it with rumbling. God, I have a hunger for something. And I am so focused on what's missing that I don't have the eyes to see what You have already provided. The hunger won't go away. And even if He gives the thing that we think will cure the hunger, guess what happens? It doesn't go away. It's the boomer effect. We just keep on begging. And keep on begging. And keep on begging. And pretty soon, that which we think our stomach is missing is actually showing what our heart is missing. And so this morning, I just want to talk about that for a minute. It's what discontentment does to us. It, 
It convinces us we need something that's missing or more of something that already exists. But even if we get those things, discontentment still remains. It goes past our stomachs and it shows our hearts. So deep down, we know something. Satisfaction is going to have to be found somewhere else. Satisfaction is going to have to be found in something else. Some of whatever's missing in my life is not going to do, and more of something that you have in your life already isn't going to do. There has to be a bread that really does satisfy. There has to be a cure for the rumbling and the grumbling. There has to be true contentment, and not just by convincing ourselves that we should be content. Isn't that what we do usually? Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what you have. You guys be thankful for what you have. There's got to be something we actually consume. And when we do, it goes through our stomachs into our hearts. And all of a sudden, no matter what our circumstances are, we can say, I am satisfied. The opposite of Boomer. This is something that we have a long history of struggling to find, isn't it? I have good news. There is that kind of bread. First, let's look at the struggle. We just read this long passage, so I'm not going to reread it. But I, I want to I give you a summary. Okay, uh, Let's talk about what's plain here. All right? Israel's hungry. Legitimately hungry. Look at verses 1-3. to right? All the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, and there is no food. Now, let me pause. There's a bit of hidden meaning in that name, isn't there? Sin never satisfies. It always leaves you hungry. And that's the wilderness that they find themselves in. That's the actual name of the wilderness. That's the actual place. Okay, But even so, Israel's stomachs are rumbling. They have unmet needs. They're very hungry. Do you see it? They grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and they say, they're so hungry, they say, it would have been better for us to have died in Egypt with meat pots than to come to the wilderness of sin and to starve to death. Alright? And so from the surface, we have to step back and think. I see the word grumbling, but this rumbling is significant. Why isn't God feeding them in the wilderness? You're going to rescue them out of Egypt from the overbearing hand of Pharaoh. Bring them into the wilderness and not supply their most basic need? That'll make you grumble. What you should think about is saying the exact same thing from the perspective of God to Israel. Do you really think I'm going to perform miracle after miracle to rescue you out of the hand of Pharaoh and your children from the infanticide that he had instituted throughout all the land to kill every male child born to the people of Israel. And I'm going to perform the ten plagues with the final one being taking the son of Pharaoh who has been taking the sons of Israel. And I'm going to part the sea 
And I'm going to bring you through and then turn around and let that sea consume your enemies. And then here two chapters later, you think I'm going to let you starve? Oh, Israel, can you be aware of how I have been providing rather than what you think is missing simply because your stomach growls? You hunger for the wrong thing. And you like the faith to believe that I'll provide. Can you see it, brothers? The same type of question posed in two different ways is the entire difference between rumbling and grumbling. And like us, and like them, they don't get it. That's the second thing. Israel's grumbling. Eight times is how many I counted. And it's there because it emphasizes their true problem, doesn't it? But let me just scoot back a chapter. Chapter 14, God rescues them miraculously through the sea. Chapter 15, they sing a hymn of praise to God who has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. The end of chapter 15, they grumble. You know why? They're thirsty. The beginning of chapter 16, they grumble. You know why? They're hungry. And if you keep reading, what you're going to see is not only are they grumbling, and not only are we about to find out that God does provide, but they try to abuse the gift that He gives. And then in chapter 17, guess what's going to happen again? They grumble. They can't get past the hunger in their stomachs to get to the reality that's in their hearts. They're painfully aware of what's missing. And they can't think, consider about the God who has provided for them the most miraculous rescue known in the history of man up to this point. The crazy thing about us in our lives is the miraculous rescue is the same. When we talk about sin and salvation, that's what it is. There was a Pharaoh that had us held. Darkness reigned. Our appetites were bent towards evil and sin, and even the good things we do had the wrong motives behind it. And God in His mercy swept through the sea and pulled each of us through His man. It was Moses for them, it's Jesus for us. And drew us back out of that slavery through the sea to the other side. Where we may be aware of the enemy, we may know that the enemy has not been totally eradicated from the face of the earth. Pharaoh was not swept up in the sea. His men were swept up in the sea. And yet we know what it means to be rescued from the thing that used to hold us. And we still grumble. We complain about what's missing. And we believe if we can just get more of what's missing or have more of what we already have, that it's finally going to satisfy us and bring contentment and make our hearts calm down. And so that's the last thing that's plain from this passage. God refuses to placate their grumbling. 
You have to read it all the way to the end. But it's for their good. Later in this chapter, they're going to try to abuse the bread that God provides and it's going to become supernaturally rotten. Inedible. Is that a mean God or is that a gracious God? Is He trying to starve them or is He trying to save them? I'm telling you He's trying to save them. But how could that be? Because He's not placating their grumbling. Let me say it this way. If He gave them what they wanted, it would enable their grumbling hearts to remain unchanged. It would encourage more grumbling. If I fed Boomer from the table, guess what? He wasn't going to go away. It would only enable him to what? Keep begging more for the thing I've already given him. That's what our hearts do. They try to feast on the manna of this earth. And it does satisfy for a day. But then we just keep begging. And instead of giving us more of the thing that's not going to work, God actually says no. Or wait. And when He does that, it's it's gracious. We should be thankful when God does not placate our grumblings. The absence of the thing for which we grumble provides the needed space for God to move into our hearts through the appetites of our stomach. The absence of the thing is the gift. Because then the rumblings start to make us ask, is there a bread that satisfies? Will something else work? And brothers, that's the whole point. There has to be a bread that satisfies our unmet needs and desires. There has to be a bread for the hunger that we feel. There is. Matthew chapter 2, you don't have it, but listen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. This sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? It is. And the wise men said, I'm sorry, and then Herod said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The wise men said, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have we come to worship him? And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet Micah, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd, who will feed my people Israel. Now on the surface, that may seem out of place, but Bethlehem. Bet-lehem. Bet is the Hebrew word for city. Lehem is the word for bread. The divine God is going to send down from heaven a Savior who will be born in the city of bread? Fascinating. 
I really don't need to say more than that, but I want Jesus' ministry and teaching to close the, the door for us today and, and help explain why the city of bread. It's familiar from his life. He used this all the time, but I'm going to use a familiar story where he not only gives ministry, but message to this. It's John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, that is the the feast of the Jews, was at hand. You know what's true of Passover? Everybody's hungry. And everybody's preparing to feast. And so lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him on the hillside, Jesus said to Philip, Hey, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, pause. So many hungry people. And Jesus poses a question to which he already knows the answer. So many hungry people. What are they going to eat? Where would we possibly find bread to satisfy this massive hunger? And you know the story. We're not going to continue to read it. Jesus born in the city of bread takes a few loaves of bread and blesses it and feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And He did it on that hillside. It was the miracle of bread from the one born in the city of bread. But Jesus isn't finished. Later in John 6, He's telling them something even more about the bread that He's bringing. And He's telling it to us too. This is the climax. And so the people come to Him afterwards and say to Him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Did they not just see a sign? If I could take two donuts and you came in and there were no boxes in here, And I gave thanks and blessed them, and you looked, and on the stage were donuts to feed you all, and your children, and your wives, or your girlfriends, or if you're single, your future wife or girlfriend, right? Don't let the miracle get lost. And yet they say, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, Truly, I I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. So Jesus said to them, I am... What did He say? The bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, the bread of life, and yet you do not believe. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus continued, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world 
is my flesh. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I'm born in the city of bread, performing the miracle of bread, offering my body as bread, that you might stop grumbling after manna that will only lead you to die. And instead, feast on me. I am to be consumed. As a matter of fact, later in this little sermonette from Jesus, they can't get it through their heads that they have to consume Him to find satisfaction. And it says many of His disciples turned away and no longer followed Him. He's the bread that satisfies. But so many will come to Him and leave dissatisfied because they can't let go of the grumbling in their hearts. They're so aware of what's missing that they can't see the provision in front of their face. He just fed 5,000 plus with bread. What sign do you do that we might believe? Brothers, it is not a matter of God providing. It is a matter of us feasting. And we feast in our hearts by faith. And that's why Jesus says, whoever believes in Him has life into the ages. The manna that never dies. And when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, it takes on a whole new meaning in Christ Jesus. Because you don't suffer from want of a Savior who won't give, but one who in every way expended Himself. It is His flesh that is the bread that is given for you. The true bread from heaven. Eat of Him and you will live. Let me put it real simple. Contentment can be found in any circumstance if we feast on that bread. Whatever circumstance exists, be it good, which might make you think you need to rumble for more of that thing, that great circumstance, or be it bad, Disappointment, loss, lack of promotion, singleness, being married and wishing you were single. There is a bread that will satisfy. You must feast. That's why Paul, if you wonder if there's actually a human being who gets this, said this, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought very low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens you from where, Paul? From deep inside. He consumed the bread of life. And the all things He could do was contentment. No matter what life looked like. Doesn't that sound like bread that satisfies? It's the reason Jesus died. And I didn't finish the Boomer story and this is where I'll close and pray. Um, We discovered one thing that satisfied Boomer. Roast beef. I know he shot way low, but we don't feed 
center cut tenderloin to our dogs from the table. Okay? I consume all of that for myself. Roast beef with the carrots and the, and the drippings. Put a little brown gravy on top. It's the only meal that he would consume and eat. And not only did it curb his rumbling in his stomach, but it calmed his little begging heart. And you wouldn't see flat bottom begging when mom put the roast in the oven and he got to eat it. There is one thing, gentlemen, that every human stomach craves. And it is Christ-sized, it is Christ-shaped, it is Christ-flavored. And until we learn to feast on that, we will hunger for the wrong things. And when those things are missing, we'll grumble. Have you ever feasted on the bread of life? Have you forgotten to feast on the bread of life? Let me pray. Father, those things that make us grumble, would you give us the courage to confront and confess those things? You don't despise us because our hearts grumble. I thank you for that in my own life. Just as you had compassion on Israel, you have compassion on us. So would you help us to see the bread from heaven that you've provided instead of being so aware of what's missing? Fill us with that one true bread. He alone can satisfy our hungry hearts. Let it be so, I pray in his name. Amen.